I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Hello. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. My name is Kristen Shelmessi. I almost introduced myself as you, Karen. This is welcome to Sorry about that. We're glad you're joining us today. We've got a great show for you. Jerry Akers is back from the IFA Advocacy Summit. We're going to talk a little bit about the changes in California, what that means for the rest of the franchise industry. But first and foremost, we've got a little word on the street, and then we're going to talk to um, the leader of the brand Mosquito Hunters from right here in Illinois. So exciting to hear about that and all the opportunities that they have for somebody to purchase, own, run, and be wildly successful in their business model. So first, Karen, let's talk about what's the word on the street today. Word on the street is, is that Entrepreneur just recently announced their annual franchise 500 ranking for the best uh, best franchises to open. And I love when that list comes out, you know, yeah. just take a look at, you know, what's on there and kind of what are, what are some, what, what's happening. Are you like me? Like I originally, I immediately go look for our brand, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, which brands are on there? Yeah. And Absolutely. and I'll say in the, in the top 20, while they may not be, um, in the top 20 because most of these tend to be food related though there are some service um, businesses and congratulations to those of you who made the top 20. Um, I will say that our business is on there, Jerry's business is on there so not within the top 20 but a very close to the top of that list. So from what I understand what are the criteria that you see them looking at? Well, I, I like it that they have a very, just a very nice approach and really take a look at a lot of different areas of the business. They mm-hmm. take a look at the costs, which are really important, the fees, the fees to open, the, you know, your royalty fees. They take a, a full look at that. They take a look at growth, you know, the, the, the growth rate, the closures, which are important sure. too. So yep. really taking a look at that, that's two. Third would be the type of support that's offered, you know, yep. marketing support, training support, everything that's needed, obviously, to help run the business. Sure. Is brand strength. And I thought that was interesting, even just the whole the marketing, what they're like in the market. And sure. the last one, get this one, important, financial stability. They actually take a look at audited records, you know, so they really do take a full, kind of a full look at, at all the different aspects of the business. Sure. I think what's interesting is is if you look at those categories, they really align nicely with some of the items on the FDD. So when we talk or have talked even in previous episodes about some of the things that are most important to know and look at when you're choosing a brand, these all go really quite in line. Absolutely. They do. They do. And I, you know, I love that. I also like that they don't just select, you know, you already mentioned it. You mentioned food and I love food, love all the food franchises. And it's nice as a, um, a prospective franchisee to have a choice, to have a right. choice in different kinds of franchises. You know, for example, I love it. I mean, Ace Hardware is on there. UPS is on there. Kumon yeah. is on Even Hampton Inn. Those are in your top 10. Well, and you know what's crazy is I didn't realize that Hampton Inn was actually a franchise. Mm-hmm. And the more and more you look at some of these big names, 
hotels, they're franchises. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I loved it. I loved that part because I was the same thing. I'm always like, okay, which food ones are in there? And that's great. Right. But, it, you know, again, again, it gives people different kind of choices to look at and think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to give a special shout out um, to Taco Bell, who ranked number one. And I had just read today, oddly enough, that they are in two states. I forget California, and I think it was Arizona. Please forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, that they are now serving the Baja Blast um, that has that Mountain Dew yeah. energy drink in it. And I thought, oh hell no, don't send, don't sell that here because I don't need another addiction. I'm trying to keep my son off of all that, like energy water and monster drinks and but I'm sure this is going to be a huge seller for Taco Bell yeah. so even yeah. though they're ranked number one now they are going to be I mean they're just their sales are going to really I think take off on this Absolutely. and so their investment if people are wondering like oh my gosh they're ranked number one what does that look like um, the investment required goes anywhere from 576 up to 3.4 million um, they currently have 7900 locations so that's they're a pretty big operation um, the other one that we've talked a lot about, I mean, obviously every day I carry my trusty McDonald's when we do the show because I love their iced tea, even though they jack their price from a dollar iced tea up now, it's like a buck 87. Um, they are 1.4 million investment to 2.5 with almost 40,000 locations. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. And did you see on there the cheapest to open is 7-Eleven? Isn't that wild? Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't think that, you know, because you've got the brick and mortar, you know, so I, I was fascinated by that. Yeah. Well, and you have the inventory that you carry. So if you, if we've got any 7-Eleven owners out there, I would love to talk to some of you because I'd like to know how it is that you can open a 7-Eleven for $125,000. Agree. Agree. So I'm guessing that is if you partner with like a VP or a gas station or something. That right. Makes I would, yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And then last was, was the whole fastest growing. Cause I always like to take a look at the different categories yeah. and I hadn't even heard of the fastest growing one. It was Stratus building Solutions. I think it's like commercial cleaning. Yeah. And so I thought we need to look into that one too, you know, to see really mm-hmm. what's causing their growth. Yeah. And, and so that's another one to take a look at and, and do some more research on because I was not aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of good information. Again, we found that information in Entrepreneur. Um, you can go online and find that. Again, it's the 20 best franchises to open in the U.S. And congratulations to all you brands that made that top 20 list. And without further ado, I think we're going to take a quick break before we split over to Andy Fuller with Mosquito Hunters. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine.com. 
And welcome back. We've got a slight technical issue here, but I'm sure we'll get it worked out in no time. There we are. Welcome back to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. I'm Kristen Shelmesty, and with me is Karen Kimsey Sword. Joining us today is Andy Fuller, the CEO of Mosquito Hunters. Welcome to Pillars of Franchising, Andy. Thanks for having me, everybody. Great to be here. So glad to hear from you. So tell us about you and Mosquito Hunters, how you got to where you are today. So I started Mosquito Hunters here in Chicago, Illinois area. Back in very late uh, 2013, uh, started just with a single backpack and built up a team, starting with a couple of my high school buddies, and uh, started getting some momentum, getting some customers in the area, started franchising by 2016, uh, became a part of the happiness group, formed happiness as happiness was forming in 2018, and uh, here we are today about 82 franchisees, about 130 locations across the country. Wow. I have to say, you know, today, because I have a, a senior in high school, one in college and one that's a sophomore, and there's been all this talk in the news, which, of course, my boys love to hear, hey, mom, they're saying you don't really have to go to college these days, right? <laughs> I love the story that you and your buddies started this company really not that long ago. You know, 10 years, that kind of flies by, and now here you are running this giant franchise system. I mean, we did go to college, to be fair, but they were my friends. Yeah, were you just sitting around thinking, um, hey, there's mosquitoes around. I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. How did you even think of this? I was, I'm so curious. <laughs> I was working in corporate America. I, you know, speaking of college, you know, got the college yeah. degree and uh, I paid for college by doing college painting, house painting. So I kind of accidentally fell in love with entrepreneurship. Okay. Being part of that. And then got my degree and thought, well, I need to do what you're supposed to do with a degree. Let me get a job at a, a as big of a fancy company I can find. And uh, I went through a really long interview process, got this job with a really big Fortune 500 company. I got the job thinking this is it. This is my career. I'm going to climb the ladder. Now we can build all these things, and we've got all these resources because we're a multi-billion-dollar company now. And you know, a year into that job, I took a look around and realized I hated it. Uh, just, just hated it. Uh, all the things that we know corporate America to be. You know, just everybody seemed to be more interested in getting their bonus and not getting blamed for things, getting as much mm -hmm. work off of their plates as possible. Um, this wasn't the sort of thing I wanted to spend my career doing. What I really realized I wanted to do is, is own my own business again. Um, but the question is, you know, what business do you get into? Because there's, as you all know, right. as business owners, there's seemingly millions of different businesses, at least thousands in reality that you could get into. Um, and so I got into mosquito control because I wanted something that was in home services. I wanted something that was recurring revenue. I wanted something that was in an emerging space something where there was limited competition, uh, where we were early to the market by a bit, there was opportunity to innovate without just trying to come up with the lowest price in town, something that was simple enough that I could learn enough to be dangerous within a reasonably short period of time without having to go back to school all over again, uh -huh. uh, something where I didn't have to just you know hire a team and take their word for it, something where I could actually understand it and you know manage that team. Um, without having to go back to school or get any sort of special training or be an apprentice or anything like that. I wanted something that provided value to the community. I wanted something that I could explain to, you know, 
anybody and they say, what do you do for a living and actually enjoy talking about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of put all those things together. It led me to mosquito control, not just because I you know, had some deep hatred for mosquitoes. I think we're <laughs> a love-hate relationship at this point. Uh, but it just checked those boxes better than anything else really could. Well, I first have to say for all the parents out there with kids like mine, thank you for pointing out that you did indeed go to college. And I am sure that between going to school and having a job in corporate America, you learned some invaluable skills to help build the company you have today. Absolutely. College is a good idea. Yeah. For your son, for anybody. So what are some of the... Some of the things that you took away from your corporate job that you have kind of been driven to not repeat as an entrepreneur building a franchise empire today? Great question. I I, I think accountability is probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, be ready to take the call, you know, for whatever your job is. Um, be willing to hold yourself accountable first and foremost. I'd say, candidly, um, there are a lot of bad managers at the place I was working with. Uh, A lot of people got promoted for the wrong reasons. Um, That's kind of what prompted me to want to get out of there is I looked at everybody who was, you know, above me on the totem pole, so to speak, and I thought there's not a single person here where I want their job. There's not a single person here who I really honestly admire. Um, You know, there's a lot of... uh, the expression CYA. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you need to spell that one out. You guys can Google it, you know, listeners. But um, oh, we're yeah. familiar with that one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to live in that kind of culture. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be that kind of boss. I want to be the kind of boss who uh, gives people a lot of space. I, I believe in giving people trust, giving them room to make mistakes. When they do make mistakes, I don't rub their noses in it and try and make them feel bad about it. Uh, I would see a lot of people like dressing somebody down in a meeting publicly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really didn't care for that. Um, so I just think giving people room to like act like adults was probably my biggest takeaway. I didn't see enough of that in corporate America. And I wanted to take that with me mm-hmm. with my own business. Karen, you, that's right up your alley, Karen. It is. It is. And I was going to say, so how do you take and, and then transfer that? Because that is so important, by the way, you, you know, so key. So then how do you transfer that back then when you're even onboarding your, you know, new franchisees. I mean, what are some things that you really pay attention to in that area so you don't get those same people? Uh, Yeah, I mean, a couple different things. I mean, when we're talking about, you know, the local business here in Chicago, uh, you you have somebody who's starting as a technician. They typically don't have a ton of experience professionally at all. And, you know, a lot of them are younger. Uh, A lot of them don't deal with many adults. You know, I, I came to learn when they were coming on board and the adults that they knew were their parents and their friends' parents. And the, the concept of, you know, if I sleep in on Friday, I'm going to ruin the weekend for a lot of my customers. Like that's, that's new to a lot of our employees who start off as technicians. And so giving them the space to make those mistakes and then realize what the repercussions are quickly. You know, there are those who really struggle and those are the people who don't really work out. And then there are those who really rise to the occasion who are just looking for an opportunity to be treated as an adult. And those are the ones who find themselves thriving you know, in the system. And then for, for franchising, I'd say it's a totally different ball of wax because, of course, you know, the relationship with the franchisee is, I would say, it's very different from an employer relationship yeah. uh, because we're 
you know, we're we're allies going up a mountain together, and we're sort of the Sherpa uh, climbing up the mountain with them. We've gone up and down the mountain before. I, I'd say with them, it's a matter of just kind of sharing stories, sharing best practices of what's worked, uh, what hasn't worked, uh, mistakes that I've made, and just having a culture where owners feel comfortable sharing their mistakes with each other. So that way we can lift each other up. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. But what I love so much about franchising is it's a tribe of business owners uh, doing the exact same thing that you're doing, running your exact same business. It just happens to be in maybe a different part of the country. Uh, so I like so that you to be call open it a tribe. with each other that we can share. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. A, a tribe or a family. I mean, that's that we talk about that all the time. The power of franchising. And so, I mean, I, I have to imagine. Some of the stories that you tell certainly help, but what you've built within your business is a culture, right? That culture of allowing people to rise to the top on their own. How do you get your franchisees to understand the importance of having such a similar culture in all of these locations across the U.S.? That always seems hard, right? That transfer of knowledge, the transfer of culture. Yeah, I, I think every franchise owner has their own subculture because it's their own business. It's their own independent business. And I say, first and foremost, you have to be authentic as a business owner. If you pretend to be somebody else, if you pretend to talk in a way that you don't talk uh, or or be any way that you are not truly, if you try to put on airs or put on a face, like eventually everyone will realize, you know, that that's not you. So just start from a place of authenticity and honesty. And a lot of, a lot of things haven't fallen into place after that. Um, so I, I'd say that's probably the most, be, be straight up. Uh, otherwise, it's really important that we bring in on the right franchisee up front. So it's really important that we have really candid yeah. conversations before you're even officially a franchisee. So that means having some really in-depth conversations with our franchise development team. That means having lots of calls with existing franchisees and having candid conversations. We're not a part of those conversations. That's between you and the franchisee, and you can talk about whatever you want, uh, anything you want, and um, set expectations. Talk to people who are doing well. If you talk to somebody who's not doing well, ask them some questions. Qualify, you know, why is that? And, you know, as an adult, as a, you know, hopefully future business owner, you can use your discretion to figure out what makes sense for you and how you want to run your business. Um, who's an ideal candidate then for a franchise? You know, you were talking about this when you're taking a look at it, and you're, you're vetting them as well as they're vetting you, right? Yeah. So who, who, who's your ideal candidate? Candidate is, the, the as far as what they've done before, really isn't as material as kind of what's within them. And the, the most successful franchisees are the ones who are, willing to go outside of their comfort zone, do the things that maybe they don't want to do that aren't fun, but they do it because they want to make their business better. They realize that the object of the game is to optimize the value of the asset that they own. And anything else that you do with your time and energy that isn't leading to optimizing the asset is really just a waste of time and energy. Um, I'd say that the best Candidates and owners are the ones who are willing to take a look in the mirror and worry about the things that they can control. That's a really good point. You you brought something up there that I'd like to have you elaborate on a little bit, and, and that's the amount of time. So then I get phone calls from people who are looking for a brand that allows them this semi-absentee ownership, and 
And I always kind of chuckle because I think, geez, you know, the first couple of years you own your business, don't even think about being semi-absentee. And, and even beyond that, that phrase is not quite what it really is in most businesses. When you are operating mosquito hunters up here in the north, you've got a period of time that there are no mosquitoes. So what, right. what does that look like on a kind of a yearly cycle for your owners? I I agree with you. I hear about semi-absentee all the time. It's kind of like the uh, the big buzzword of the decade in franchising, certainly franchise development. <laughs> you know, you hear about semi-absentee. I really don't care for that term, honestly, because yeah. it gets in, misinterpreted. Yep. You know, so, someone like me is a franchisor or maybe a successful franchisee. They hear semi-absentee and they're thinking one thing. And then you have a candidate who has very, very limited time to invest in their business. And they hear that exact same word, semi-absentee, and they think something totally different. And it's just, oh. it's, a, it's a very dicey word to use. And I, I, so I really don't like to say that Mosquito Hunters is a semi-absentee business model because I don't want to leave any room for confusion. It's That's right. very hard work when you're getting this business started. Um, you, you need to challenge yourself in ways that you've never challenged yourself before. Yeah. Certainly, if you've never owned a business, it's going, you're going to be going into uncharted waters and you're going to have, you know, moments of doubt and, and moments where you're going to be very frustrated, um, but you're doing it with a team of other people who've been there and done that before. And that's the big difference. To get to your other question about the business model itself, you know, the widget, I say, you know, we started off you know, at our core being a mosquito control business, but over time, it's been important to us to diversify our offering for our customers. So we do actually quite a bit more than just mosquito control. And the big reason is we like working with business owners who want to build big businesses. And when we yeah. diversify our offerings, it gives the franchise owner more opportunity to build a bigger business. So that means not just mosquito control, but tick control, flea control, the perimeter pest control, which includes ants, spiders, uh, cockroaches, it, some other bugs that vary depending on where you're at in the country, but uh -huh. it extends your season by, by quite a bit. Uh, mosquito stations are also a really great upsell opportunity for us, but uh, rodent control is something that we're just getting into as of 2023. It's a huge opportunity. It's growth, but because it's growth, it's a really good business to get <laughs> into. Because <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to do it. You know, nobody wants to do it. So if you're going right. to pay other people to do it, you know, not unlike, you know, the, the maid business, it's like, Oh I could, yeah. I could clean my toilet or I could give you money and you clean my toilet. Like, <laughs> that's right. you know, that's the whole value proposition. We, we like the pest control business for that reason. There's a lot of people don't want to deal with that. Exactly. They're willing to give us money to do that. Uh, it's, it's a good deal. It's a, it's a win-win, yeah. you know, for the customer and for us. So is it, is it businesses then that you're, you're more, are more of a target audience than consumer? Is it both? Just kind of curious as far as that mix. Our, our foundation is serving residential, but there's a lot of opportunity with commercial and there's a lot of opportunity with homeowners associations as well. Oh, yeah. Effectively residential, but it's sort of a, a hybrid, if you will, because you have to deal with, uh, you know, a property manager or somebody like that to work with the HOA. But yeah, that, that's our bread and butter is uh, residential. Um, but we have a number of commercial accounts across the country. Our sweet spot seems to be uh, golf courses, driving ranges restaurants, uh, hotels, things like that. Or I could refer you to a couple of places who need it. 
Yeah, no kidding. I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. And we're yeah. right here in the same area. Yeah, exactly. But we won't <laughs> talk about that on the air. <laughs> you know, so, so what kind of investment are we talking to open? I, I assume you guys do, do you do territory? Tell us a little bit about how you divide that up. And then what kind of costs are you looking at for somebody who might want to open a mosquito hunters in their area? Uh, they should be ready to spend over a hundred thousand dollars to get started. Um, as far as territories, it it varies. I think it's better to open up a conversation with the franchise development director. We can figure out something that works for you. But every territory is dedicated. It's based on zip code, uh, so it's your exclusive territory. Okay. Um, and then what we really have learned: this is franchisees ask me all the time, like if you could go back in time and do anything different. And yeah. what would you do? The number one thing I would do differently is I would have focused on density from day one. So a franchisee will start off with, let's just say, this is their territory. Uh, we coach very aggressively to focus on a chunk here. Yeah. Focus on building as much density here, build up a wall of sound. So everybody who lives in that area, it looks like they can't turn their head or sneeze without seeing a mosquito yeah. hunter's truck come by or see a, a a lawn sign or see uh, Gunther, our handsome mascot, standing at a busy intersection. Uh, <laughs> with, you build up that kind of wall of sound, you get this this real uh, aggressive, accelerated trajectory, so that way you can get a lot more customers quickly. So, yes, territory size matters, absolutely. Um, it's not to be overlooked, but the way that you really make this business model work for you is focus on you know one small chunk of it and build up chunks at a time. I think that's really a great point because, you know, we went through this transition where um, we look to expand. They look at your penetration rate within each zip code to find out where are you to make sure there's always some stuff left on the table, right? And so it's it's really important to make sure that you're making the most of what you have before you just continue to grow sideways and outward. It, it's so hard because you start a business and you 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 sign the deal and you you pay the money and you get all your startup costs invested in and then you have this moment everybody does you think oh crap oh this is real now the roller coaster coming up you hear click 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 as you're going up yeah. and you have this feeling and it's like I, I need to make this work i have to make this work this is real i have bills i need to pay you know in a lot of cases i have mouths i need to feed and so it's really tempting if you're not thoughtful and disciplined from day one to take customers from all ends of the territory or even yeah. outside of the territory. Love it. And you just need to be really, really thoughtful and careful about that uh, because it, it seems like a win in the short term, but, uh, but in the long term, it, you can really be sabotaging yourself if you're not focusing on building density. Because when you have density, every single stakeholder wins. The, the employee wins because he or she is making a lot more money yep. per day and per hour. Uh, the customer obviously wins because they're getting serviced faster. And then the yeah. business owner wins because you're generating more revenue per day and at a, a better profit margin because you don't have the same overhead costs. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's interesting because I, I will say that that was probably, well, my intention was to start in that in the immediate area surrounding because you have you have vehicles, right? They're all mm -hmm. logoed out. And, and so we started that way, but then the phone starts to ring. And you're going from one side of your territory to the other side and you lose so much in productivity and fuel costs. And, you know, then your employees are like, hey, I really need to make more money. And if you figure out the scheduling piece, they can get a lot more done in one day by being in one area than being in 16 different towns at a time or within a day. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway for anybody who has a service business that's going throughout a territory. Absolutely. And kind of think think of that ahead of time. Be very mindful and planful. Um, you know, the next question would be, I bet you get this asked a lot, and we talk a lot about this. How long does it take for someone to get ramped up where they are profitable? I mean, what do you tell your perspective? I'd say that, you know, how hard you put your foot on the accelerator is really up to you. Yeah. And everything that we coach in our model is with the intent of you, again, optimizing your asset value and getting to cash flow positivity as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah. Nobody is doing this for their health. You get into this business because you get a lot of satisfaction and validation from it. But a lot of that comes from being successful and being profitable and building a team. And like those things, those things don't happen, you know, without executing the model. And so the model, there's no fluff. There's no filler. Um, stick to your knitting. Stick, stick to what we're coaching. And if you can do that, then you're going you're gonna to make that curve as short as possible. Uh, that also means having coaching sessions and, and uh, an ongoing rapport sessions with existing franchisees just so you can stay focused and kind of keep the shiny things out of your, your view. I like that. I'm distracted by shiny things all the time. Me, me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's part of what makes us business owners. Is, you know, we, we just, we can, we follow our hearts a lot of the time and that there's yeah. a lot of good that comes from that, but um, you know, there, there's a dark side of that too. So we all need to be thoughtful about where we're putting our time and energy. In business. Well, and that's sure. why it's good to have strong franchise or systems. You know, you were talking about having, you know, being very mindful even with your onboarding and how you did that. Because I think the more you can share with people the pitfalls and the whys, um, mm-hmm. then people will follow the system much more so. Sure. So that leads us to a question. I mean, I'm kind of curious about, uh, well, two things. First of all, is there a market, and obviously a friend of person, a franchise development person knows this right away, but I'm sure they share this vision with you or you share with them. What markets are you really targeting to expand into now? Are there some ones that are just really hot and you haven't hit yet? It's interesting. There's some markets that you know there are plenty of mosquitoes and plenty of people and plenty of disposable income, and you would have thought I would have thought we would have a location there by now, and we 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 don't. Uh, we've never had a, a franchise in Twin Cities, never had a franchise in Kansas City, um, never had a franchise in Nashville. You know, these are these are big really? markets. So uh, those are those are just a few that come to mind. Love to find a, a franchisee there. Uh, we, we've got a franchisee that's that's probably an hour outside of Nashville, but that's about as close as we get to that. Um, okay. But, you know, I, it's really not about that, I've come to realize. Like, it really is more about the quality of the franchise owner. So I don't care where you are. If you're the right fit for us, if, if you're a right fit for this tribe, if we're a right fit for you, we're mutually a good fit, that's kind of where the magic happens. Because I've had, I've had franchisees who come into our system and they haven't done well. And they've come into this like great market where it's like, oh, you are going to crush it. You're going to destroy yeah. it. And then that, that owner just won't show up to do the work. They're a little bit more of, on the absentee side of uh-huh. absentee, right? You know? Yeah. And then we've had other franchisees where it's like, really? Do you even have mosquitoes in your market? You know? <laughs> uh, how is it, you know, so you really ask those questions, you know, is, is your market big enough? Right. Uh, but it's the right owner and they come in with the right mindset and the right attitude and they're disciplined yep. with themselves. They challenge themselves and they do a great job. They crush it. So to That's me, awesome. I've come to learn, I really don't care where you are. Uh, yeah. if, if you see that there's market need, you know, we offer all these different pest control options. 
we should have a conversation because the personality is really what determines your success. I think that's awesome. Very cool. Karen, do you have any last questions? I love this sounds like a great, uh, a great brand with a strong reputation. You've got great culture. Yeah. And just anything that we didn't ask you, maybe some key things that you would like for us to know about Mosquito Hunters that, that we didn't discuss. I would say, you know, just the other thing, just just to keep in mind, if you take nothing else from this, you know, listeners, is um, keep in mind this is something where we want you to be generating revenue 12 months out of the year. Uh, so mosquito control is seasonal in a place like Chicago, but it's a lot more than mosquito control. And uh, that's kind of our foot in the door. It's a great way that we can get customers to to get to know us and like us and trust us. But then from there, we have a lot more opportunities. So. Uh, don't don't let the name always deceive you. You know, Cheesecake Factory sells more than just cheesecake. <laughs> Love it. Great you know. analogy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Foot Locker has more than just shoes. That's you know. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyways, it's kind of that Guitar Center is more than just guitars. Yeah, yeah. That's all that I got. But anyway, yeah, you get the idea. Go so um, on and on. Yes, we've got your idea. That's very good. Yeah. Right. Well, we did have a couple of little comments that I'll share with you from the audience, but um so one wants to know if you already have a franchise in Washington, D.C. to help with the politicians, which I find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good for Chicago, too, just saying. Yeah, I, I yeah, just, really. I just love our, our audience. And then we have another one that says, are you, are you related at all to Robert Redford? Because they think you look like a young Robert Redford. Let, let me get their address. I'm going to put them on my Christmas card list this year. Uh, I'll, call, I'll call way worse than that. All right. Appreciate that. Well, you know, listen, I think even in our audience, we have people who are distracted by shiny objects. And uh, so sometimes we get a little off base, but the politician one was probably my favorite. Yeah. Um, so let's just get one last question that I have for you, because we do like to make sure we're making data-driven decisions, and we want to make sure that as brokers, nobody is selling a mosquito hunters to the wrong type of people, and we'd like things to be data-driven. So what are a couple of things on your franchise disclosure document that you think really make your brand stand out and prove that it is a valuable investment? I say, you know, look at uh, item six, look at item seven, uh, look at what our costs are to get started relative to uh, some of the other businesses that are out there. Uh, mm -hmm. You get an idea of what it's like to run this on an ongoing basis, really limited overhead, mitigates your risk. You know, the greatest risk that you have is your competition, and your competition is actually the person who lives in the mirror. You know, that's what's really holding you back. Um, if you can overcome that, then there's a lot of possibilities that a lot more is within your control when you have limited overhead. And then, of course, you know, everybody wants to look at the item 19. Those numbers will speak for themselves. Uh, we share a lot of information, a lot of information in there, and it can be kind of overwhelming, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot of franchise owners tell me, it's like, if the data really helps, but, but at the same time, I know, like, I've been reading FDDs for a long time, they're a great thing to read if you're having a hard time falling asleep. Right. I'll put you right out. Um, How do I agree with that one? You know, yeah. so I, I say, you know, really, you know, look, look at the item 20. 
you know, that's the big one. Look at, look at how many terminations they have, how many locations they have. Talk to existing franchisees. I, every once in a while, I'll have a, a friend or a friend of a friend reach out to me, you know, say, hey, you know, talk to Andy because he's in the franchising business. And I always say, like, it doesn't matter. It only matters so much. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. But it only matters so much what you see presented in front of you. Um, What you really need to do is talk to the owners. Talk to as many owners as you can. If I were in the shoes of anyone, forget Mosquito Hunters for a second, but just if I were looking to invest into a franchise, I would talk to – I would get to the point where I'm really annoying the franchise development person. I would say – let me talk to 10 people. Let me talk to 20 people. Like, I want to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and that is going to give me a really good insight into, you know, what is this brand really all about and what's it like to be an owner? I couldn't agree with you more. That's what sold, sold me on this because we compared three and it was the just overwhelming response of the sense of family and everybody was in it together and the culture was good. And I, I think that, you know, after talking to you today, I feel very confident in your brand, and I'm super excited to see where you go. You've got some really great synergies with the happiness um, umbrella, and I think that will really do you well. So thank you so much for coming on our show today. It was so nice to finally meet you, and you're just down the street. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to do it in person next time. That's good. That sounds fabulous. We'd be happy to have you. Thanks great for having me. You. Appreciate Bye. it, everybody. Thank, thank you, you, Andy. Have a great day. Bye. And we'll be back right after the top three reasons that you should tune in to Felicia Franchising. One, franchise advice from a million dollar mentoring team. And two, how about interviews from franchise professionals and influencers. And number three, how about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise. Join us on Felicia Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you listen to your podcast. So for the record, Jerry, I just threatened his life if he doesn't get rid of that commercial. (laughs) Kristen, I laugh every time I see that. That is just hilarious. And it gets even better when in the middle of it, you take the glasses off and you're kind of lounging back or something. You know, it's it's special. Oh, special is a great word for it. Let me tell you. The only thing I regret is I hadn't had a couple more cocktails to make it even more (laughs) enjoyable. Let me tell you. I need a copy of it. What? Enough about me. Let's talk to you. You've been on the road. We haven't seen you in weeks. I get these little things. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. We all know that you are our special person who gets to hang out with those pesky politicians (laughs) and really try to affect some of the change that the franchise industry needs so desperately. So tell me, uh, where have you been? What have you been doing? Well, uh, just in the last week, I was in D.C. for four days and got to do the IFA uh, advocacy fly-in where we, uh, we hear from uh, uh, several of our representatives uh, in group sessions about what's going on up there. And then, you know, the people from IFA explain some of the, you know, regulations and bills and so on being discussed or, or potentially put in place that will impact franchising in this case, but small business in many cases. Uh-huh. And so, um, yeah, I just got to spend uh, uh, four wonderful days up there. I took six showers when I got home. 
still wasn't quite enough to, you know, do away with all the sludge that I brought back with me. But um, we had we had some really great meetings. Uh, because of the involvement with IFA, we got to have uh, several representatives come and talk to us in very small groups. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, uh, Kirsten Cinema uh, came in and spoke to us. And those are, uh, you know, obviously two that have uh, developed a little bit of a name uh, as being those that tend to protect the business model okay. uh, when others are doing things or suggesting things that would be negative towards franchising overall. So we, we tend to listen to them from time to time because, uh, you know, educating them, uh, giving them ammunition when they're going back to be engaged in those uh, committee meetings and so on is, is critical to our long-term success. So those are two of my favorites, but we we heard from many of them while we were there and then got to go with our state groups and go to talk to our state representatives. Now, let me ask you, because the last um, time that you had done one of these, you actually testified uh, mm -hmm. the Hill, and there were a couple of folks there that had actually been in the franchise business. So the two that you mentioned that were there and are advocates for franchising, have they ever been in the franchise business? Um, no, uh, okay. but you know, when we, Senator Joe Manchin, his uh, father and his uh, grandfather owned two separate businesses in a small town in West Virginia. So he grew up yep. working in small businesses. He saw, you know, how they went into debt to uh, build the businesses, how they had to give a lot of hard work, a lot of lost nights, sleep, yeah. you know, a lot of questions in the bad months and things like that. So, so he truly gets it. Um, Senator Cinema. uh, you know, speaks as though she's been in business. She she seems to understand it. And so, as I said, educating them is, is pretty powerful. Um, we have had, you know, when I testified, there were several that um, spoke up and asked me questions based on their franchise history. In fact, one of them, uh, uh, you know, uh, Congressman Moran from uh, Tyler, Texas, uh, met him almost by accident when I testified and uh, uh, before I testified. And he literally said, I'm on that committee. I wasn't planning on being there because I'm in another meeting, but I'll drop out of that meeting, come in. Uh, what, what would you like me to ask you? What question would you like me to ask you to allow you to elaborate on something that maybe wouldn't come up in other people's questions? So, you know, when you have people like that there, you know, yeah. you've got, you've got some people looking out for your best interest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the negotiations with the governor giving some stability to franchising. What what is what what's that all about? Yeah, so uh, California, the place where most bad ideas start and then become worse. Um, <laughs> they they, um, they the, you know there's this ongoing push in California to burden franchise systems and even small even small businesses. Mm -hmm. with um, enhanced pay, uh, which uh, I think everybody should make what they make. I don't have any issues with that, but government regulated pay that is on a, literally on a scheduled increase over a period of years is very difficult for businesses to handle. And so that's where we were in California and California was also, um, you know, going to be the first state that actually had something related to joint employer in place, which is, uh, many would say the death of uh, the franchise model as we know it, because large corporations will manage all of our employees. It won't be Jerry managing my group of employees or Kristen or whatever. So um, 
they, they were in a position where they actually were going to put that in place. IFA, as well as the National Restaurant Association, many franchisors and some other groups got together and were able to get enough signatures that uh, forced uh, California to put that on the ballot in 2025, I believe it is. Okay. And um, all those organizations put millions of dollars into a pot and advertised that it was there to fight to win that election. Uh-huh. And I think uh, the determination that came out through that was the other side needed to do some negotiating to um, not have to lose at the ballot. So uh, uh-huh. Governor, Newsom, Governor Newsom asked to meet with that group, and uh, a negotiated settlement came into play. Uh, the one thing I didn't talk about was part of the original bill was there was going to be a council of unelected non-business owners who would make all the decisions about employees in our businesses in the state of California. So uh, this negotiated settlement uh, gave them a couple extra dollars of minimum wage starting very soon. So that for franchise owners is a bit of a hit and there's some negative comments coming out of that. But what is uh, locked in is the council is still in place, but they have no they have no authority other than a little bit over some pay increases, not a lot, mm-hmm. just a little bit. So they can't, regulate how we deal with our employees and how we hold them accountable or any of those other kinds of things that we as employers have to do. Um, And uh, it it created a six-year moratorium, if you will, where um, this is the reality for the next six years. So we we may, may not have as many battles in California for the next six years as we have in the past six years. And then we'll see what happens after that. So I mean, that's just a broad brush strokes as, as to what went into that. And yeah. as painful as it is for franchisees, um, from the labor standpoint, it's the best of a really bad situation and bad options. Sure, sure. Well, I think it, what's interesting to me this time, unlike some of the, the times in the past, um, this particular summit seemed to really pull in a lot of franchisees that maybe in the past hadn't attended. And we had had... I think the week before, perhaps it was, um, Scott Greenberg on, and, and I said, well, what are you going to do there? And he said, I, I'm going to teach a franchisee how to tell their story. And I thought, wow, that's actually really brilliant because a lot of us don't know how to tell the story, not only of how we got where we, where we are, but the trials and tribulations of getting here, how we're involved in the communities, how many jobs and families we affect, and you know, hopefully you got to sit in on that and you found that to be very helpful in some of the discussions. Well, many people go on these advocacy uh, trips and they don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to do and they feel apprehensive. And I've had friends who refuse to go because they're nervous about it. But in fact, <clears throat> you, will be, um, you will be given some talking points. You'll have a chance to consider them and talk to other people about them uh, and present them. Uh, in front of your representatives in really small groups. Like it was it was me and my daughter in our meetings. And even okay. for the big states, it might only be eight or 10. So it's not a very large group. You have a couple people that are designated as the people that do most of the speaking. But in reality, what we need to do is, as you said, tell our story. They want to hear about how we create jobs and how we treat our employees and how we pay taxes and you know how the regulations and other issues are impacting us. I know when I testified, Kristen, uh, I, I literally said, when a regulation comes out of D.C., 
it impacts one of two groups and neither one of them is me. It impacts our customers and it impacts our employees because the money it takes to pay for those regulations is going to come in some combination from those two groups. Yeah. Most of our businesses work on a pretty small margin already, so we have no more room to go. So we raise prices, we lower benefits for employees, we do whatever it takes to keep the playing field level. And Kristen, you're a great example. You just said this. I made this note because I wanted to kind of, you know, jab you just a little bit with it because you didn't realize some of the big hotels were franchise systems. Huh? And so if you think about us who live, eat, and breathe franchising, and we don't know about us, when our when our legislators are considering issues related to franchising, they think of McDonald's. Right. They think of the big food places. They think of uh, 7-Eleven, who has had a lot of legal issues over the yeah. years. Subway. Uh, that, yeah, that's who they think of. Yeah. They don't think that the hotel they stay in all the time when they're on the road is also a franchise system. Yeah. You know, there's car lots. There's cleaning opportunities. There's hairstyling. There's chiropractic. There's massage. The list goes on and on and on. Oh, and yeah. On. So we've got to also educate those people and all of those things. In fact, honestly, we talked about it before the show, and this isn't a pitch. But the bottom line is one of the final reasons I wrote the book that I wrote is so that some of our legislators would read it and get a feel for what, it, what it's like to put your house, to mortgage your house so you can open a franchise, to yeah. work, you know, 60 hours a week to try and manage that business. You, you know, I got a buddy that owns three sub shops, and he's always rotating between them making sub sandwiches because oh, yeah. of the staffing issue. So we've got to do more to educate them. And I think, um, you know, us from the heartland and from across America going to D.C. a couple times a year to do that is one of the easiest ways to have an impact on it. And yeah. uh, there are a lot of other things going on there. And, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. You know the game whack-a-mole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um Two times in the last like four or five years, there has been a attempt to create a joint employer mandate in Washington, D.C. And we fight it off through Congress. You know, a lot of times uh, Joe Manchin and uh, Chris, uh, Kirsten Cinema are at the forefront of helping with that. Um, so they haven't given up, but they've decided to take the NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, and have them create regulations outside of congressional oversight that will implement the same kinds of things. So that was one of the things we were talking to our representatives about. And you should see the look on a congressperson's face or a senator's face when you say, did you realize that they're trying to have the NLRB do your job? And they go, wait, tell me more about this. And then we get to, you know, tell them. <laughs> they're, they're just quickly looking at their aids like this. Right, you know? right, right. Are they going to work me out of a job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guarantee you there were some frantic phone calls made after that to get more information on that. So again, educating our representatives before uh, committees, unelected officials, and things like that bring it into play is critical. The last thing I'll bring up, another end around, basically. Uh, the FTC a few months ago asked for, uh, they sent out a request for comments related to franchising overall in any yep. issue. And as good attorneys can do, the questions were phrased to elicit negative responses. So those of us that love franchising would read them and go, well, I don't have anything here. I mean, this is all kind of inconsequential. So 
but if you are ever in that 1% that whether you didn't do a great job or it was a bad franchise system or whatever, you were in a bad spot, man, I'll tell you what, they were burning up the airwaves to get those comments in. So um, we had a concerted effort to get uh, the message out to happy franchisees to comment yep. on that line. Yep. And uh, we, we had, <clears throat> excuse me, a groundswell of those, got a lot of great conversations going. Uh, we warned the uh, representatives that that was still in the works. And we also told them, <clears throat> excuse me, that the IFA was actually understanding of um, the need to update an F the FDDs because all of us that read FDDs, Andy talked about this, right? Yeah. There's hundreds of pages in some of the FDDs if it's an older system. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even, even new systems have several pages. And, and let's face it, if you're a franchisee thinking of getting in, you're probably not going to read all of those. You're going to read like three or four sections. And then if they're okay, you're going to move on. So we're making some suggestions. Uh, uh, I'm on a working group with IFA uh, to offer some suggestions about how to modernize the FDD to make it a uh, kind of an executive summary with perhaps some uh, links that they can get more information in certain areas or something like that. Something to make it more readable, more approachable, less, uh, less intimidating. So, um, you know, the fact that the FTC is doing this, we're hoping that uh, they use caution and allow uh, concerned individuals from the model to, uh, you know, kind of guide them through it. Well, Jerry, you know, obviously we could probably break this down even further, but we have to save some of this for you for next week when we have another episode of Pillars of Franchising. And well, I'm glad that we're keeping you busy. So thank you for bringing your update from Washington, D.C. at the IFA Advocacy Summit. And we will look forward to hearing more about things that affect franchising and the laws next week. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board. The Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. And I'd like to thank you all for joining us on another episode of Pillars of Franchising today. Please remember to join us again next week at the same time, same channel. Big shout out today to Andy Fuller with Mosquito Hunters under the Happy Nest umbrella. We love Happy Nest brands. And uh, so excited to hear about these great opportunities. Special shout out again to our team here of Million Dollar Mentors, Ray Pillar, Karen Kimsey Ford, Jerry Akers, and to our legal analyst, legal professional, we'll call her, Laura Lips. She's still off getting married. So I'm, I'm hoping she's coming back next week. She's taking a fabulous honeymoon somewhere. So hurry up, Laura. We need you back. Uh, I am Kristen Michelle Messi, your fourth. Uh, million Dollar Mentor, excuse me, today. And another thank you to Fred McMurray, our producer. This has been another episode of the Pillars of Franchising. Please remember to join us next week, again, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week.